and welcome to the HSD podcast series. I'm your host today, Laura Franco, Vice President, Director of Post-Acute Strategy. And I am joined today by my colleague, Michelle Kramer, who is Therapy QA Specialist. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Laura. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad to have you. I'm glad to chat with you anytime, Michelle, especially about PDPM. So uh, so for our listeners, that's what we are going to talk about today. We are now four months um, into PDPM, and there are some industry standards, inter- industry findings, I mean, it, that we've that we've identified. Um, and these are pretty well across the board, don't you think, Michelle? Yes. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about those and then we're going to talk about some strategies that the communities can use to make sure that they aren't missing anything that, that could, you know, bring them additional reimbursement or is critical to the documentation in those areas, critical to the coding. So, uh, so Michelle, let's, let's jump right in and, um, why don't you tell our listeners what are the top three errors that have been identified in the industry, um, you know, since PDPM first started in October? So for the first four months, what are we seeing? So we have um, the three, really the three biggest opportunities that I've identified and that I've um, heard throughout the industry, through all the um, in-services and communication I've had with the CMS and all intermediaries, is really the speech-language pathology component, the NTA component, and COPD with shortness of breath while lying flat. So those are the big uh, top three opportunities that we have in the industry with PDPM. Okay, so, and that's not really surprising to me because these are all new for us under PDPM, right? That's correct. So we've had a lot of changes with PDPM and it's a new reimbursement system. So getting used to all of the intricacies, all of the requirements, all of the identification and the shift from therapy to nursing has been um, really important to know and to uh, keep an eye on because we're not used to having nursing as the, in the lamplight, right? We've always driven by therapy minutes and now we're not. So we want to make sure we're focusing on all of these areas that um, are really evident in the industry with PDPM. Exactly, exactly. So um, let's talk about the speech component. <clears throat> um, what are you identifying and, and what's the industry seeing as probably the biggest missing piece when we're looking at that new speech component? So there's a couple areas in within the speech language uh, pathology component, um, specifically with the BIMS interview. Um, sometimes the BIMS result of the BIMS interview is is not matching what speech language pathologists are treating. So if uh, the social services person or whomever is uh, performing the BIMS interview with the resident may be coding um, it as uh, 13, 14, or 15, which means the resident is cognitively intact. What happens, though, is that speech language pathologist comes along and does a complete evaluation and they identify differences. So they're actually needing to treat the resident. Um, so the BIMS interview result or um, coding of it is not matching what the resident requires. But because that's um, not a, a very highly um, 
it's a subjective interview. So it, it's not, um, it's not a really good test or interview that will identify cognitive impairment um, because it's a screen. So, um, and it's done, it was meant to be done by non-therapy personnel um, and only a screening tool to kind of identify high level uh, cognitive impairment. So CMS right now though in the industry is working with ASHA. Um, I know that from uh, my conferences as being a speech language pathologist, they're working on a better tool to um, identify more of these residents, but that should not deter the um, communities to provide what the resident needs. So if the BIMS is in cognitive intact, which is uh, 13, 14, or 15, and the resident still needs cognitive um, intervention uh, and therapy services, we need to provide that because again, it's not a very sensitive tool. The other area that we have in speech-language pathology component is the dysphagia diagnoses um, and coding in Section K. We're not always coding the um, swallowing disorder, uh, so we can't take credit for that. So a lot of times the um, CMI for speech is an SA, which means none or neither, SD, which means we've got one diagnosis, but neither for the swallowing disorder or a mechanically altered diet. So there's, you want to make sure that the dietitian and speech language pathologists are communicating in your PDPM huddle because you want to accurately code that MDS section K to take credit for that. The other aspect um, that potentially could affect the speech-language pathology component is there may be two viable medical diagnoses. So you might have uh, an other orthopedic diagnosis. So you might have a fracture, yet like during the surgery during to repair the fracture, the resident may have had an acute uh, neurological incident or a CVA stroke. So, you know, which one do I use? So it's great that we have a team TSI um, product that we can uh, scrub 100% of our MDSs through. So if we identified, okay, I'm going to take the um, other ortho diagnosis as my principal medical diagnosis and run it through Team TSI and see what the reimbursement is. Then I can also go through and change it and do the acute neurologic to take credit for the speech-language pathology um, areas you want to make sure that you're doing that and then see what rate you come up with. Typically, I'm finding if you do it both ways, you'll see that if one or the other will come out um, as a higher reimburser. So you don't always want to take just one. If you've got viable, multiple viable uh, medical diagnosis that could be principal or primary medical diagnosis, go through it twice to make sure that you're identifying the, the most... Um, appropriate reimbursement, that you're going to get the highest reimbursement. You don't want to lose um, funds for not, uh, you know, taking that time to do that. So those are all really, really good strategies. So <clears throat> it sounds to me like um, it, it's the age-old problem, but it puts us up front in PDPM of therapy, working with nursing and other individuals in the community. It's And it's it's not that they 
weren't before always. It's just the system wasn't set up that way. So now that it's, um, it really, um, it really requires that it sounds to me like the speech and language pathologist really needs to connect with, um, with the social service person who's doing the BIMS interview, um, with the dietary who's coding section K. And then again, with the MDS coordinator who's coding, um, the MDS. Is that, is that right? Is there anybody I left out of that, okay, or, you know, equation there? Well, and, and, and just in that aspect for the speech language pathology component, but it's really um, a necessity to have those PDPM huddles, those meetings every day, so that especially in the first uh, few days, the first five-day assessment, because it's really important to include everything and anything that the resident requires. So anything that, you know, if they're getting re- receiving medications, any treatments, any procedures, any therapy intervention, The team has to come together and review all of the documentation, the hospital documentation, the physician's H&P, history and physical, to identify any medical diagnoses that will support their services and the resident needs so they can come together and communicate together and accurately code that MDS. That is so true, Laura. Yeah. Good, good point about that uh, that meeting. So let's talk about the second area that you mentioned, um, the NTA or the non-therapy ancillary component. So what's what what are we seeing in the industry, and um, what strategies do you have to improve that area for us? So yeah, so it's really what's happening in the industry is we're not identifying all of the NTAs that the resident has. So um, that goes back to that necessity to review all of the hospital documentation, all of the physician documentation, all of physician you know history and physical, their summaries of their hospital stay to identify the most appropriate principal medical diagnosis as well as all of the NTAs and the comorbidities. Um, and that includes the speech-language pathology comorbidity. So really diving deep in that documentation to find anything. So we've got, typically, we're not coding um, in the industry inflammatory bowel disorder. Um, we're missing a lot of the wound other than foot Um, So, you know, as you are looking through that documentation and you identify any wounds that you need treatments for, any um, surgical wounds, and that we're not coding surgical wound care. So we've missed that a lot um, in the industry that we're seeing um, that will increase the nursing category as well as identify and increase our NTA. You want to really make sure that, again, at in that PDPM huddle or in that meeting every day and when you're assessing at, in the five-day um, MDS assessment, because that's your payment from day one through the um, discharge of that resident, you want to make sure you're coding everything and anything. A lot of times in the industry, we've got, you know, we're not used to coding everything. We're like, okay, this is what's reimbursed. This is, um, you know, typical. But because it's such a really focus on the medical diagnoses and the active medical diagnoses, we're forgetting that. So we want to code everything and anything that you can. The big part is that sometimes we're not checking in Section I 
Um, if you don't check in that section I, a lot of time the reimbursement and the NTAs are tied to that and then listing in I-8000. And it's really important, especially when you have multiple areas included in the checked section. So for instance, like in COPD, asthma, and other chronic lung disorders, there's three different areas there. You wanna make sure you're clarifying that in section I-8000 as well. The biggest thing is making sure anything and everything's checked in Section I, and then if it's required in Section I-8000, make sure it's listed there. A lot of times we're seeing that um, we're including the PTOT diagnosis codes in Section I-8000, and a lot of times that's not really needed because you want to include that on the UBO4, so make sure you're leaving space to take credit for all your NTAs and your comorbidities and your speech language pathology components because that'll give you that reimbursement. So, you know, as I look at these, you know, they're they're all really really important, but that NTA piece is because it's so new, it's so easy to miss something. You know, I I think I think that's where we have to continue to focus on some of these. The same with speech because it's so new, right? Absolutely. And and it's really nice because, you know, um, LCS has provided a list of NTAs that you can post at your, you know, desk when you're, um, especially when the MDS uh, coordinator is completing the MDS to make sure, hey, do I, does this resident have any of these, you know, that they can take credit for? So, um, you know, any strategy is good, but that's really nice. That's, you know, what I use as well, you know, when I um, go through MDSs to, just to make sure, you know, hey, did we take credit for everything? That's that's a good tip. And it's so easy. Just pull out the tool, the piece of paper, right? <laughs> so, all right. So this last one has to do with documentation. Um, and again, the documentation has always counted, but it really, really counts when it comes to PDPM. And that documentation really needs to be solid in order to capture some of the, uh, some of the areas. So let's talk about that COPD with shortness of breath while laying flat. So that's a great um, example of one of the areas that we need to document, document, document. So again, if a document, if documentation is not there, it didn't happen, right? Or it's not present. So um, when a resident has or using O2, um, they have a, a diagnosis of asthma or COPD, a resident who has a, a a pneumonia and requires nebulizer treatments who um, are always complaining that they want their head of bed up, you kind of have to question yourself, hey, you know, they might have shortness of breath when lying flat. Uh, and that is something that we're not doing in the industry and that we're seeing um, holistically. If the resident has COPD with shortness of breath when lying flat, that will increase the nursing clinical category to special care high, which is a a larger or greater reimbursement for the communities because the resident requires all of these treatments, procedures, um, and assistance, right? So they need the head of bed up because they're, they're having difficulty with um, shortness of breath when lying flat. Well, if we don't ask that question and we don't document it, we can't take credit for it. So we want to make sure that nursing, therapy, physicians are documenting that the resident has this short of, short of breath um, while lying flat because 
if we can document that and we can identify that in the resident's medical record, then we can take credit for that. Um, and again, that is a checked section on section I and then um, a section for shortness of breath when lying flat in section J. So you mentioned physician documentation. Um, physician documentation would be really important under the NTA component too, wouldn't it be? Yes, absolutely. And if we identify that the resident has um, like a potential risk for malnutrition or we have an NTA that we found in the medical record and it's not on our diagnosis list, we go back to that physician and say, hey, I think this resident has this medical diagnosis. What are your thoughts? Have them sign off on it, date it, and then it becomes the active medical diagnosis you can take credit for. Excellent. Excellent. So, so again, not, you know, it's not a surprise that the, these three COPD with shortness of breath while lying flat, NTA component, and the speech and language component are, um, are areas that people need to pay attention to as we move forward because it's a big learning curve through PDPM. Not a surprise, but I really like the strategies that you've laid out, Michelle. I mean, I think they're, um, they're clear. They should be easy for um, folks to implement. But if we're talking about like an overall strategy for documentation and coding, I know that at LCS, we use Team TSI to um, scrub our MDSs and give us all of the data and the analytics. So, you know, using Team TSI, can you talk about, um, you know, what what strategies that we've recommended for LCS communities and, um, and overall strategies for everyone as they're, you know, going through this learning curve of PDPM? The biggest thing is to scrub all of your MDSs. And um, when you're scrubbing those MDSs, Team TSI has the reports in the MDS scrubber report um, at the bottom. And it, what it does is it goes through all of the coding of the MDS and then identifies any areas of alert. So if there's any coding discrepancies, if they're, okay, you coded this and you didn't code this, did you mean not to code that? Can you go back? If there's a, um, an area where um, it's like a quality measures area, you want to make sure it's care planned. So the real, the biggest strategy that I would recommend is make sure you go through all of those alerts and check it off. So make sure that you're addressing it. D did I code it wrong? You know, do I need to code it differently? You know, oh, I missed that. Okay, I need to code it. And check off every single opportunity, any alert list of, you know, you want to go through the list of the alerts and check off, yes, I need to do this. No, I don't. No, it's not applicable. And yeah, I have to go back to the MDS and recode it and then re-scrub it just to make sure you're addressing every single area that they've identified. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. So anything else from an overall standpoint? I mean, you could talk about, let, let's talk about some of the best practices that we've put in place for an overall strategy, um, like audits, right? Yeah, so we, um, as um, the Health Services Division, we are providing random PDPM audits to identify any areas of opportunity, any areas of need of education, um, and then we also review that with each team. We've got an option for on-site audits, if that's something that a community would like. Um, and again, we've got um, availability to review any of the audit results via a conference call so that everybody can ask questions and learn and be able to go 
back to that MDS and say, hey, do I need to modify this or not? So, and and the feedback that I've gotten is those audits are invaluable, but especially if they're coupled with that phone call, Michelle, because you can really go through and explain to people. It's a real, it's a real one-on-one education opportunity, um, and and to do it via phone, even you know. Absolutely, absolutely, and I really find that they um, have the uh, the staff and the teams have the opportunity to ask those questions, kind of get some education on why you know um, I would you know say hey you know you might have have this opportunity or you know you might want to look here or here's the strategy what I use you know go back to the physician to ensure that this is an accurate diagnosis or here's a potential. Um, there's also you know for instance with uh, respiratory if you've got a large Um, volume of respiratory patients that require, you know, nebulizer treatments, Um, you know, you could train your nursing staff to uh, provide those services and then take credit for that because that will increase your reimbursement. So that's another um, area of opportunity as, you know, during my audits, if there's, you know, a vast amount of these types of patients, you might want to look at some uh, programs. Yeah, that's that's a good point. So, so well, you know, all in all, I think I think we're doing pretty well, you know, just coming through our first four months of PDPM because it was a huge learning curve. It's a different world, um, but you know, our our health centers and the staff in our health centers have really, really demonstrated how agile they are to adapt, pick up the new, and really embrace it and move forward. You know, I know they don't have a choice, but they didn't go kicking and screaming. And all in all, um, folks are doing pretty well. So. So I hope uh, I hope we can uh, connect again in a couple months, Michelle, and let's kind of look at uh, look at how we're doing. You know, check in every once in a while. Look at how we're doing. If we're doing better on any of these, if we see things shifting and see some other areas, just to keep our pulse on um, on our first year under PDPM. Sound good? That sounds awesome, Laura. Thank you so much for having me today. All right. You have a great day. And I want to thank you to our listeners. Um, Hope you join us again. Legal disclaimer. Life Care Services LLC is not engaged in rendering legal advice. Therefore, any information provided in this podcast, although intended to be correct, is also not intended to replace or supersede the advice of your legal counsel. Also, thank you to Ben Sounds for the music provided in this podcast.